Well, you probably have figured this out by now. I, I have a certain teaching style that weaves its way into my preaching style, and that is to lay a very solid foundation the first week, and the second week to lay it again and add just a little bit. And then the third week, lay it again and add just a little bit more, and I just keep building upon that one thing. And I want to do that on purpose. I, I take that, to be honest, I, I learned the technique from the Apostle Peter. No, I wasn't there and he didn't tell me that. But if you read Second Peter, he will tell you that is exactly why he wrote that book. He said, so that you will know it. And he says, as long as I'm here, I'm going to keep reminding you of that thing so that when I'm gone, you still remember it. All right? That was his. That was his style, and I said, you know what, I'm sure that his congregation were quite convinced of the things that he told them, because they were able to remember that for years and years and years. And so, my goal is just to keep reinforcing these things for us, because not only do we need that to, um, if somebody keeps repeating the same thing over and over and over and over again, you become convinced of it. The news tries to do that with us all the time. They tell us things, and they just keep reinforcing it. But what better thing to be reinforced in our hearts than Scripture? And how many times do we forget what we heard? So my goal is that we don't forget. So here we go to verse 24. And if you're taking notes and you say, but Pastor, a lot of these things I wrote last week. Now you know why. All right? But we are going to build. We're going to build. We're going to build. We're going to keep going. Now to him who is able... He is able. God is able. That's the emphasis we're giving here. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. Lord, we have your word in front of us right now, and what a privilege it is to have it, to hear it again. And Lord, we're just your children, sitting at your feet, learning what you would teach us. Help us today. Help us to grasp the things that are before us, and take them to heart, to put them into practice, and to serve you with all that we've got for your honor and your glory. There are so many distractions, Lord, in this world, right now especially. And I pray that uh, we will be able to set those all aside so we can hear your voice. Teach us from your word, Lord, and use me as you see fit to communicate what you want us to hear. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our midst right now. In Jesus' name, amen. To present you unblemished. Blameless, faultless, some of the words that I read in other translations. That you may be able to stand before his glory, blameless. Have you ever read through that and said, wow, is that possible? Is that possible? You look in the mirror lately and ask questions like that? God is able. That's what the verse is telling us. 
And I'm going to prove that to you over and over and over again, because things have not changed since Jude wrote these words. God has not come through and altered that. He hasn't made any amendments to it. He didn't insert any exceptions to it. He left it as it is, and it is what is true of him. God is able. Not was, not will be, not could be, not might be, but is. God is able. I'm going to keep reinforcing that because it's continuous, and what was true last week is still true today. And I can guarantee you this, next week it's still going to be true. God is able. That's not going to change. And as we work our way through these things, we, we need to know this because our knowledge needs to mature. I'm not saying that as if we're all in trouble here. I'm saying that is the calling of all of us to mature in our knowledge of Christ, right? How many of them are perfectly there? No? Okay, so I was right. We need to mature, right? We're called to mature in the knowledge of who he is and what he can do. We need to grow up. And that's really logical and very practical. Because the more we know of what he can do, the more we will trust him. Okay? There are no ifs in the passage. I've reinforced that a few times, haven't I? There's no ifs here. There's no buts here. We're the ones who insert that, not God. We're the one who question him. If he were only here. If he had only known. If he were... Isn't that what we do? How many times have you even seen that in the news after some tragedy? Somebody said, well, where was God? If only God... I mean, those phrases we use all the time. God is present. Because he's omnipresent. God is powerful. Because he's omnipotent. God knows. He's omniscient. That was defined for me in such an easy way, and it's this. God never needs to learn anything. He knows. He knows. And he's with you. Do you believe that? Doesn't Scripture say that? He's with us. He's with you. Even when you don't succeed? Mm -hmm. Thankfully, the Christian life is not like a NASCAR race. I've told you this before. I used to listen to NASCAR races every Sunday afternoon. I just couldn't wait to listen to that. One of the reasons was because my pastor's name was Mark Martin. And there was a driver by the name of Mark Martin. We always asked him, how did he get out of church in time to get to the racetrack? So anyway, I like to root for Mark Martin to win the races. And he, he did a pretty good job over the years. But, but uh, it was always the interview at the end that, that caught my curiosity because the winner, they'd interview him and they'd say, well, God was with us today. And I'm thinking, well, what about the second place guy? Was God not there for him? Did, what if he came in last? Was God not there? It's just a funny phrase we use. We always associate God with the victories. But when things come unglued, when things don't work, when things to, the car doesn't start, the job falls apart, those, where's God? That's our question. Where's God? Where's God when it hurts? Where's God when I'm having trouble? Where's God when I can't pay the bills? Where, how many ifs do we have? 
You got pocketfuls of them, don't you? Pull them out on every occasion. If only, if only, if only, if only. And I'm just trying to tell you, there are no ifs in this verse. When it says God is able, it doesn't say unless, or except, or but, or if. Just so we get this in our head. This is what God is saying. He's not a God of limitations. Only man gives him those kind of concepts. There's no can't next to his ability. And I gave you some verses last week, like Luke one thirty seven, for nothing will be impossible with God. Luke eighteen twenty seven. The things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Genesis eighteen fourteen. Is anything too difficult for God or for the Lord? Job 42, verse 2. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Jeremiah 32, 17. Nothing is too difficult for you. You could travel the pages on this one, folks, and have a great Bible study. Just start asking questions like, is there anything that God can't do? We used to do that in college, Bible college. I hate to confess this. But we'd sit around in the dorms late at night after too much pizza, usually, and we'd try to come up with ideas of what, what God can't do. Can God make a rock so big he can't move it? Isn't that a ridiculous question? In pizza terminologies, we thought that was the most profound thing ever. I don't know why, but it was just something about that. But we'd come up with all these incredibly ridiculous concepts. God's word makes it clear. He is able. And yes, even when you set the challenge in the concept of this, but what if I fall? To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And that's where we're saying, well, I'm pretty good at falling. Physically, (laughs) unfortunately, Dale starts to nod his head over there. I know what he's talking about. Spiritually, have you ever had a bad day spiritually? No, not you guys. No, other people out there. Maybe Zoom people. I don't know. But uh, when we look at things and we say, but, you know, I messed up here. I messed up there. You're talking about stumbling. Uh, the idea of stumbling, I told you last week, was somewhat more of an accidental thing. In the concept of the word, it's like you trip on something. You weren't expecting that. In my, in my dad's garage, um, he was often working on vehicles in his garage, and uh, that was his hobby. He just did that for ministry's sake, for people who needed help with cars. And um, I, you'd come into the door, and, and it's completely pitch black in this, this garage, and so you'd come in the door, and you'd walk around the, the front of it there, and you'd lift up the big overhead door uh, so you could see. And uh, I went in there once, not knowing he had the block of a motor in the middle of the floor. You know what? That's harder than my toe. That I had a broken toe because I walked right into that thing. And it hurt. And I, I often think of that little picture when I hear this word. Now, him to keep you from stumbling. I said, Lord, why didn't you let me miss that motor? You know what? That's not what he's talking about. He's not, he's not talking simply about, you know, oops, I just fell on something in the middle of the floor. The cat tripped me. Uh, I wasn't counting the steps. 
you know, those kind of things. That's generally what we put in this term. But the idea is different than that because he keeps us like a parent putting his arms around a little toddler that's walking for the first time to keep them safe, actually providing a defense for them against assault of one kind or another, guarding, providing uh, protection and preserving. But all that still, you say, but that, how does that answer the concept of a fall? And I gave you this picture, and I'm going to bring it up again in a minute. But we're talking about one who is going to the rescue of another person in need and hesitating because what happens if I fall into? We have fears. Fears of this kind and that kind. And I will tell you how simple this is. It comes out in ministry a lot. Fears of stepping out into a very difficult place to help somebody in need for fear. And there's a list of fears. And we say, I don't, I don't know if I could do that. I, 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 don't, I think I might just not make it if I try that. And God says, I'm able to keep you from falling. Let me expand on that just a little bit as we keep going into this passage because I want to get to that blameless verse especially that's in front of you here. Jude's context is very important. Very important to understand these verses. Go back to verse 17. This is where he turns to his readers and said, this is your purpose, this is your ministry, this is what you're called to do. Now, were they living in a tough time? Yes, a terrible time. Did they have trouble in their church? Yes, they did. We're going to get into a lot of this as we keep developing the passage. But they had false teachers in among them, leading people astray, causing all kinds of trouble. As a result, there's no surprise that some people have fallen into sins. Because that's what these false teachers were actually encouraging them to do. They were leading them down the path that led to to immorality and all kinds of terrible things you're going to hear about in the rest of this book. But here, Jude turns to those who are believers and he says to them in verse 17, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They were saying to you in the last times, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. These are the ones who cause church divisions. Did I say church? Ah. They're the ones who cause divisions. Worldly minded. Devoid of the spirit. You say, okay, yeah, that's out there. That's out there. That, that's an ungodly world we have to live in. We know that. We see the news. We know what's going on. We say, yeah, there's a lot of trouble in this world. And we can't become hermits and hide. Be nice. We can't go away from it. We're in among them. Some of our leaders will be even those that will have ungodly intentions. How do you cope in such a world? Jude is not writing to you or me on how to live in this world. He's saying this is what it is in the church. In the church, there will be divisions. In the church, there will be worldly-minded people. In the church, there will be those devoid of the Spirit. Wow. But, but we could talk about political climate. We could talk about social climate. 
But it alarms us to hear the word church next to all this, doesn't it? You say that's the one place it shouldn't be. But that's where especially there will be influential people who will lead you astray. What is the remedy for that? What is the cure for that? What is the, Actually, if you go one step further, this is usually where it is. How do I get out of here? Because <laughs> most of us, that's what we want, right? You see the trouble, you say, let's get out. Let's move on. Let's get away from that. We don't want to be part of that. We just we want a safe place, a good place to worship where there's no division and worldly-mindedness. There's nobody here leading us astray. We don't want that kind of thing. So we say, how do we get out? How do we go away? How do we get away from this? And he says, no. You have a ministry right there. You have a ministry with these, especially your brothers in this church. He's warning them. This is what you see. So what do you do? What do you do? Well, start in verse 20. But you, beloved, build yourselves up on the most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to address those as years, or the week, not years, as the weeks go by. That sounds scary, doesn't it? Keep yourselves in the love of God. Wait anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. I call that spiritual maintenance. Take care of your spiritual maturity. Grow, grow. Get stronger, get stronger, get stronger. This is talking about your hope. It's talking about the mercy. It's talking about your knowledge of Christ and all these other things. Your prayer life, all of it. Grow in it. Become strong, strong, strong. And you say, well, why? Watch this. Because that self-maintenance is important. As you care for your spiritual well-being, you can help others who are struggling with theirs. You see it? This is why we do it. We can't help other people if we're immature. We can't do it. I'll say it this way, if you want it real strong. We owe it to the church that we grow in the Lord. We owe it to our brothers and sisters in Christ that we grow in the Lord. Because the day that you struggle, we need to be here to help you. And the day that I struggle, you need to be here to help me. Yes, pastors grow too. We owe it to one another to grow in our relationship with Christ. So that we're strong. Christianity's never been a single player sport. It's not designed that way. It's a body, right? It's a body where all parts working effectively, efficiently, powerfully together accomplishes what that body's made for. And when one part's hurting, guess what? The body knows it. The epistle talks about that all over the place. It's the New Testament epistles. But we cannot go further than we have advanced ourselves. We can't help people if we're immature. And that's what his first point is, so that he gets on to verse 22. He says, now you who are mature, you have grown, you're ready. Verse 22, have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, even hating the garment polluted by the flesh. This is a serious rescue operation that he's talking about here. I'm going to give you the, that picture that I did last week. It was a pond picture, remember? Somebody fell out and crossed over into the pond across the street here and, and the ice was thick except in the middle and they fell in. 
to rescue that person, we would set up that little ladder, human ladder system. We'd hang on to somebody and slide them up and hang on and slide up. The whole point is that when we grab hold of that person, we're not falling in two. We have somebody holding us. That's exactly what they need in a dangerous situation like that. And the picture that Jude is giving us is that a fire. It's a fire. And that's a pretty serious situation. He says, these people are in trouble. How are you going to reach them? Well, there's three groups identified, technically, in verse 22 and 23, right here. We, we see verse 23, especially, two of them. But here's, I'm going to break it down first, and then, I, again, I'll reinforce this later. But in verse 22, have mercy on some who are doubting. They haven't grown very much in their faith. Some false teachers have come in and really shaken them up. They're not sure. They're hesitating. Do I believe this or don't I believe that? Do, is that right or is that wrong? I don't know. They're, they're confused in the whole process. They can't take a stand on what's right. Because they don't know what's right. They've been influenced by false teachers. They can't discern the truth as they should. By this time they should, but now they're indecisive. Now they're confused. Now they're wavering from thought to thought and even from action to action. And you say, boy, what's wrong with this person? They're they're like Ephesians describes them in chapter 4 as children on the waves. Or the winds just blowing them around. You know how Oklahoma winds can do that. Theological winds just knocking them here and knocking them there. Why? Because they're immature. They have no footing. They have no strength to do it. So what do we do? Step back. Watch. He says, no. It's merciful to step in. You say, but that could be dangerous. Oh, but who's got you? Who's the one who is able to keep you from falling? Reach that person who's unstable. God will be your stability. Trust him. Trust him. God made you stable. So that you could help others. That's the first group. Now you say, okay, that's one thing. I, could, I, could, I might be able to do that. Verse 23, save others, snatching them out of the fire. Ooh, this is a little more dangerous. Right? They're not just going around the edges. They jumped in. They've jumped in. They're in deeper with unbelief. They're in deeper with the urgent need to be pulled out of the fire. I love this quote. This was written by John Calvin 400, 500 years ago. But listen to what he said. It might even alarm you a little. When there is danger of fire, we hesitate not to snatch away violently whom we desire to save. For it would not be enough to beckon with a finger or kindly to stretch out the hand. So also the salvation of some ought to be cared for because they will not come to the God unless they are rudely drawn. I stopped and I said, whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) I used to think that maybe aggressive Bible uh, evangelism was beat them with the Bible till they give in. Is that what we do? What do you mean rudely drawn? What's Calvin talking about? When somebody's in the fire, do you stop and think, oh, I don't want to hurt them? You don't think that at all, do you? I mean, ten more seconds, and they're hurt far more than what you're about to do. 
grab them by the arm, yank them. Even when children are little and you know they're about to take a step that's going to hurt them, you grab them by the arm and yank them up about six feet up in the air. You know, their arm will heal. But you don't want them going over the hill, down the, you know, off the precipice. You don't want that. So your reaction is to snatch, right? You see them stepping in front of a car. You snatch them. You see them taking a bath. You snatch them. Here's somebody jumping into a fire. What are you going to do? They are deep in their unbelief. They are deep in their, their need to be pulled from that fire. And what are we going to do? Stand there and say, I hope they figure this out. How many people are willing, really, truly, in the Christian church to jump in and help them? More times than not, we say, ooh, that fire's hot. Oh, that's dangerous. I shouldn't go there. Maybe I'll just pray for him. What does Jude say? Snatch them. You say, but I, I, who's able? God is able to keep you from folly. Snatch them. Snatch them. Third one. And there are those who, who declare themselves to be disciples of apostasy, but they still need mercy. Look at the rest of verse 23. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. It's bad enough to have a doubter who's confused, but this person is contaminated with sin. Contaminated with sin. How do you help that person? You'll clothespin on the nose and try to pick up the garment, right? It's filthy. They've dove in so far. You say, but I can't get close to that. I can't get close to that. That's, that's, that's just ugly stuff. It's, it's, it's damaging stuff. We don't want to be contaminated by that. You know what? Fear steps in so quickly in this story. I don't want to help that person. They're gone. They're, they're, as far as I'm concerned, they're gone. We can't help them. That's our concerns. We put in terror, we, we put uh, caution into our story. We say, you know, I, I don't know if I could help them at all. But here he says, snatch them out of fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. There's a lot of danger in those verses. Danger for the rescuer. We're told to do something about it, not leave it as it is. To bring them out of it, not leave them as they are. And we start to wonder if we could do it, if our fall. He says, no, you won't. I'm able. I am able to keep you from falling. I'm able to keep you as non-falling ones. Okay. That's setting the table for the rest of the verse. And it's very important that we walk through this like we are. Because fear, as you know, paralyzes. Fear likes to paralyze us. Fear is the thing that comes along and says, you're living in a hostile environment. You don't want people to know you're a believer. Keep it quiet. Don't tell them. 
because helping other people, I mean, we don't know the circumstances and we don't know the consequences. Let's, let's not do that. Let's not fall into the same trap. Let's be quiet. There were some people in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 that were very thankful that their brothers and sisters were not quiet. They were in prison. And being in prison in their days, they didn't feed you. You sat in there, and the only food you ever got was if your friends or family brought it to you. But it was part of the scheme because they were put in the prison because of their faith. And the, more than anything, the leaders in that day wanted to know how many other people are like them. And so they looked out for who would bring them food. Because they figured only a Christian would go into an environment like that and be caught as well. And what did it say of these people who brought them the food? They accepted joyfully the seizure of their property. Amazing. That's the picture that Jude's trying to present here for you, is that we have no reason to fear doing the Lord's ministry. Reaching out to those who are in need. We have no reason to fear that, because it's not based on you or me, it's him who is able. You see it? That's the, that's the context, that's the current that we're studying here in understanding this text. And when you get that, and when you understand it, you come down to just three simple things. Number one, we're to share mercy with others. Do you have enough to share? How much mercy have you been given? Oh, you got to study that one up. You're never at a loss with sharing mercy because it's not yours. It's God's mercy. And he's given you more than you're ever used. Share mercy with others. Rescue those in trouble. And rely on him who is able. Those are the three things Jude keeps reinforcing here. You are safe to help others who are dealing with sin in an ungodly world. God says, go help them. I'll hold you. He is able He could keep you as an unfalling one. And you say, well, Pastor, you said most of that last week. I said, yes. I wanted to say that to reinforce this next step because this is the one that most people really do struggle with. How then can he present me unblemished? How can you reach to the guy who is covered with polluted garment and not get it on yourself? How do you reach for mercy to the guy who's struggling in his faith and not have that affect you too? How do you get through this life without getting in trouble with sin when all this world does is deal with sin? It's an ungodly world. How do you live in it? How do you live in it? The verse says in verse 24, to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. You say, okay, oh, that's future stuff. That's not talking about the present stuff. That's future stuff. Let me, let me walk through it with you for a minute. And here's how it works. The word itself, unblemished, you might have faultless, you might have different words in there. It's talking about something that is without a blot, without disgrace, without being censured, No blemishes, no reproach. 
There is nothing there to point the finger at. Nothing. That's a pretty good position to be in, isn't it? To be considered a uh, blameless individual. Did anybody in Scripture come up to that term? Blameless? Actually, we, we go right to Jesus, don't we? But you know how many other people were called blameless in Scripture? Study it out. It will stun you. You say, whoa, they're blameless? They never sin. That's not what it said. He didn't say they never sinned. But they were blameless. You know what that means? Number one, if there was an opportunity to avoid sin, they would do their best to avoid it. If they sin, they did the right thing to get it fixed. That's a person above reproach, too, who corrects their mistakes. That's somebody who understands what to do with sin. So it's more than just that concept people usually say. Blameless means they never sin. No, they know what to do about sin. They're blameless in what they do in response to what they know. This is an important kind of picture. But here what we have in front of us is that God is able to present you blameless. God is able to present you blameless right in front of his throne. Isn't that what it says in his presence? Right in front of his throne, right in front of his glory, there you stand as an unblemished one. Sound amazing? Sound a little too impossible? That's usually what we think, because we're scared to death of the concept. Standing in front of the presence of God. Most of us would be, let me stand in a corner way back here somewhere. <laughs> let, let me stand behind somebody else, right? We, we don't want the direct approach. We don't want to stand there. He knows everything about me. Does that scare you if you thought that thought? He knows my sins. He knows my failures. He knows what I think. He knows my attitude. He knows my ambition. He knows all, everything. What is there to hide? And we're going to stand before him, and we're going to be unblemished ones? Let me put it back in the context. You ready? Jude does not say you are able to present yourself unblemished. Does he? No. It's not you. Who does it? God does. God does. Do you realize that it has been his program all along to present you as an unblemished one? You got a minute? Yes, we got several minutes. That's good. Turn pages with me. Ephesians. Let's start there. I want to show you this. Ephesians 1 verse 4. I've got about five or six of these, so it's not a lot, but turn pages with me. Ephesians 1, verse 4. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. Okay, look at this. God chose you when? Before he even made the world. So that what? I would be blameless. You would be blameless before him. He strategized a long time ago. 
Even before you were born, he already had a plan for you. I love that. I actually love these verses. If we had another 16 or 1700 years, I'd just go through the book of Ephesians. Chapter 5, verse 27. This is the work of Jesus Christ for his church, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Do you think Jesus is going to fail? Nope. That is absolutely true. That's a good theological word right there. Nope. He will not fail. He will present his church blameless. You see that? 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. Speaking of the work of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, they're working your life. It says in verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 3, 13, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Here's a picture. You ready? If the rapture occurred right now, you would be in his presence right now, and you would stand there blameless. Isn't that stunning? Woo! Because that's his work. That's what he accomplishes. I know it's going to happen. Go to First Peter. And this is why it happens. First Peter 1, verse 18 and 19. Some of you say, wait, I know those verses. I memorized those verses. Well, I hope you did. Because this is why you can be blameless. First Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. But with what? Precious blood. As of a lamb unblemished, the spotless blood of Christ. That's why you're blameless. It's because he redeemed you with his blood, not with yours. His is unblemished. His is the price paid for your salvation. Isn't that true? Aren't you glad that's true? What a difference that makes. To stand in the presence of God, unblemished because of the blood of Christ. Not because of what we've done, but because of what He's done. And so where does it go from there? Try Colossians 1.22. These are great verses. Watch this. Colossians 1.22. Oh, I'm going to read verse 21 just to set the table. It's a fun passage here. Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds, and we put right there, <laughs> who wants to deal with that? Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him, there it is again, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That's quite a contrast from verse 21. The difference he makes. And you say, okay, pastor, I like that. That's making me feel better this morning. But that's not what it's for. Go to Hebrews now, chapter 9, verse 14. Hebrews 9, verse 14. 
What is it all for? I'm going to show you. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Why did He go through all this to make you an unblemished one? Because God is able to make you so? Yes. Because the blood of Christ applied does that? Yes. All that is true, but why did he do it? So that we can serve him. That's what it comes down to practically. Positionally is wonderful that we can stand before the Lord. But now we're given all that so that we can serve. How do we serve? We reach those who are still blemished, right? And we only offer them the same mercy that we got in the first place. You see it? That's what Jude is showing to us in this passage. It is so, it's just so huge and so wonderful. You did not make yourself unblemished. Just mark that in your mind. Unfailing character is not of your efforts. You know, if it was up to us, failure would be our middle name. And our first name and our last name. But God is able to do what we cannot do. And that's the importance of this context we're working on. We're going out into a sinful world to offer salvation to those who are sinful, not because we have to be selective. I mean, how many people are sinful out there? Pick one. You don't have to say, well, I'm only going to find certain sinful people. There's all kinds. Everybody qualifies for this. We go out with a ministry not based on ourselves because we did not make ourselves sinless. We did not do that. We did not make ourselves blameless. We didn't make ourselves anything spiritually. God did it. God did it. And if he can do that for us, he can do it for them. That's what we are, just testimonies of what God could do with a blame-filled sinner. That's what we are. In this context in Jude, we're talking about some of the most sinful places you have to go. Difficult spots to have to reach. And God says, go. Go to the ones with the most blame. Why? Because I made you blameless. And I could reach them too. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God could reach people? You must. He reached you. Can God reach people today? Even the ones that you just wrote off in your mind a week ago? That they'll never be saved. Can't be saved. Not possible. Based on you, that's true. Based on me, that's true. I think it was... uh, Martin Luther, I'm not really sure if this was the right individual. Somebody came up to him and said, I just saw one of your church people, one of those people that you have saved out there in the gutter, drunk again. And he responded, he says, well, if he's in the gutter, I saved him. Think about that for a minute. 
There's a difference Christ makes. Because we believe God is able. I personally don't think anybody on this earth is unreachable. Because I understand more and more about the power of God. Let me talk to you about a story. I'm going to read it to you. You're going to recognize it right off the bat. Early in the morning, he came into the temple, and all of the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. What then do you say? As they were saying this, testing him, that they might have grounds for accusing him, Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. And when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He is who is without sin among you, let him be the first to cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone. And the woman, where she was in the court, center of the court, straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? There's something interesting in this. We always get the uh, attention given to the fact that uh, he was writing in the sand something. We don't even know what it was. We speculate a lot of things. What he was writing down in the ground. And they all started walking out one by one. And we say, yeah. They acknowledged something there, didn't they? But when I read through this the other day, I said, you know, there's only one person standing at the end of the story. The woman was thrown down in front of him. The people all walked away. Who was standing? Jesus was. And I thought about that for a while. And I said, how often is that true, really? There's only one person standing at the end of the story like this. Everyone else was blamable. Everyone else but Jesus. Who is the one that makes you stand today? The only one standing. If you were stuck in a pit, who would you want to help you? The one outside the pit or the one next to you in the pit? On the outside of it. Because you want pulled outside, right? Jesus is the only one standing, folks. Everyone else is blamable. The whole picture of what I set before you is so simple. He has cleaned you as a vessel to be used to carry out this gospel. Paul tried to explain that to the Corinthians. And you know, they, they were a mess themselves. But Paul wrote to them and they said, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. Not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in, the, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, uh, who is in the image of God. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Christ's sake. For God said, let the light shine out in darkness, is the one who also shone in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. 
I stop and say, wow, that's an amazing thing. Our lesson is simple. We must depend upon God. We must depend upon Him. He is the only one able to make you stand, right? And why does He make you stand? So that you could reach the guy who isn't. You see it? We have to depend on Him. He's the only one who can keep you from falling. He's the only one who can make you stand before Him blameless. He has cleansed you. He has given you mercy so that you can be a channel of mercy to others. In other words, folks, we can do it because He is able. He is able. Put those three words in your conversation now. He is able. Okay, next week I'm going to build upon that. You ready? Let's talk about this to our Lord right now. Heavenly Father, we stand before you with these words ringing in our ears and in our hearts right now. And Lord, if there is something we haven't been doing because of fear, somebody we should have been talking to, somebody we should have gone to, somebody we know that even at this moment is in danger, we have the truth. We have received your mercy. We have been given the assurance of your strength in our life right now. The security you give to us. The ability to go forth without falling. The ability to go forth knowing that we stand in your presence because of Christ. Blameless. We can go forth and reach the lost. And reach the sinful. And snatch them up. Lord, strike this in our hearts, we pray. For this is not just for our well-being, but we are to do it for the sake of others and because you've called us to this. You have made us so. May we go forth. Lord, strike this deep inside of us, we pray. We need it today. Help us to understand better. In Jesus' name, amen.